When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Study Smarter series is made possible in part by Osmosis, the personalized learning platform that manages med school for you. Get a free trial of Osmosis Prime by going to osmosis.org. Don't study it, osmos it. Welcome to the Inside the Boards podcast, the podcast dedicated to helping you learn to think like a question writer so you can study smarter, not harder, and succeed in medical school. And now here's your host, Patrick Beeman. All right, we are back with Dustin Williams from Online MedEd. This is part two of our endocrine review, and we will get right into it. A 47-year-old woman comes to the clinic because of a week-long history of nausea, vomiting, and vertigo, as well as amenorrhea for the past six months. Ophthalmic examination shows bitemporal hemianopsia. Brain MRI confirms the presence of a pituitary tumor. Which of the following substances is likely to be elevated in this patient? All right, so read me all the answer choices. I cannot predict this one. I bet you will. Once you, you'll be like, ah, okay. A, okay. dopamine, B, estrogen, C, growth hormone, D, melatonin, or E, prolactin. All right. So this is a, I mean, bitemporal hemianopsy is usually found in men because they get pretty big. And in women, they're usually microadenomas that only have amenorrhea and galactorrhea. But okay, let's buy into it. They're giving you the full clinical vignette, all of them together. Um, amenorrhea. Uh, and galactorrhea point me to a prolactinoma, so I'm going to start that one. Dopamine, see, but that's how that's like a um, that has to do with Parkinson's or schizophrenia. It doesn't come from the pituitary. Um, same thing, estrogen does not come from the pituitary. That would be out. I guess supposedly you could have an FSHLH secreting tumor, but those are really rare. Yep. Growth hormone causes uh, acromegaly, and that could also be is a fairly common pituitary tumor. And melatonin's out. So what do we have? We've got a, this might be just a prevalence question, which is more common, prolactinoma or, or acromegaly. And I do believe it's prolactinoma, which also goes along with my amenorrhea. Correct. So I'm going to say E, prolactin. You are right. And yeah. the she did have an MRI that uh, confirmed the presence of a pituitary tumor. So I guess at the medical student, like second year level, right? In my mind, pituitary tumor with bitemoral hemianopsia and amenorrhea, plus or minus the galactorrhea, is, is going to be a prolactinoma. Yeah. Just prevalence-wise, you could have a pituitary adenoma. Acromegaly is, is common enough where it was a competing factor, but they would have given you the growth hormone symptoms. Yeah. Uh, you know, Pedomegaly, you know, rings that don't fit and spacing of the teeth, and they didn't give any of that. So I was, I was debating whether this was a prevalence question 
or if they actually the symptoms they gave me were were real. And I, I went with their real. Like this is the step one question. They're not going to include amenorrhea and want growth hormone and leave out the spacing of the teeth and, and the catamegaly. They're not just not going to do that to you. So how would they test prevalence? I would say you could have a 47-year-old woman come to the clinic with headache. That's it. MRI, you know, show some vital signs, maybe say some other, you know, fluff. And then the brain MRI shows the presence of a pituitary tumor. Which of the following substances is likely to be elevated in this patient? And then each substance could be a potential adenoma. Because, I mean, really, any any uh, pituitary hormone could be elevated based on the uh, cell that is transformed, right? So you could have an FSH-producing adenoma. You could have a growth hormone-producing adenoma, prolactin, or uh, TSH-producing uh, adenoma. But the most common is going to be prolactin. Prolactin, right. That's exactly it. If they, did, if they gave you bitemporal hemianopsia, they would have justified the MRI. But if they left out the amenorrhea and just gave you the nausea, vomiting, vertigo with headache, that was all to lead you to get to MRI. And the MRI shows an anterior pituitary. And so what's most likely to be elevated is really asking what were most common anterior pituitary tumor, and that is one of prolactin. And you just have to know prevalence. That's a, That would be a mean question. I think step <laughs> one's not going to do that. At I think they're going to give you yeah. symptoms. Yeah, that's, that's, that's too much. Do you think it's safe to assume that at the second year level, you can consider pituitary adenoma, which is a general term, as equivalent to a prolactinoma for most purposes? I actually have my endocrine lecture set up so that I include acromegaly. I think my, actually my own way of categorizing, I think might have actually thrown me off because those are the two that I teach about. Those are the two that are clinically relevant. Yeah. And prolactin is by far more common. And I think I tricked myself uh, because <laughs> of the clinical medicine. You're right. Prolactinoma and pituitary adenoma, just by prevalence, really should be linked together unless they try really hard to give you competing physical exam information or laboratory stuff, uh, that you should just jump right to that. But yeah, I would say yes, pituitary adenoma equals prolactin. This is going to get you 95% of the cases. And if you, if you need to get that question right, that is a trick. You know, you're going to get a 275 if you get it right. So it's <laughs> safe to say pituitary adenoma, prolactinoma. Yeah, equatum. Oh, the other thing is bitemporal uh, hemianopsia is something I think is a very high yield thing to know what that means. But Essentially, the tumor would push on the optic chiasm, and since uh, the fibers of each eye that are responsible for the lateral uh, visual fields, the temporal visual fields, cross at the optic chiasm, you cut both those out, and essentially you've got almost like tunnel vision. It's, it's useful to, to look and memorize and know and understand the anatomy of the visual pathways. And just as you did, though, the uh, anterior pituitary adenoma is prolactinoma. If you've got bitemporal hemianopsia, you see those words, tunnel vision, loss of lateral fields, they can describe it in any way. If you see bitemporal hemianopsia, it's a pituitary tumor. Yeah. You can skip everything else and just jump to the MRI and then start looking for what is the tumor that's producing this. I mean, it's um, they try to get away from buzzwords, but as you develop illness scripts of diseases, I mean, you there are buzz phrases. There are things you should look for. Like that's good clinical medicine, right? Exactly. If someone comes in with toe pain, it's probably not an MI. They come in with crushing substrenal chest pain that radiates down their arm and they're a dude. I mean, that's it's an MI. It's okay to do that. Right. So I think that things like bitemporal hemianopsia, anterior pituitary adenoma, like all those things can be one-to-one -one linked with his buzzwords. This one's good. You're, you're going to enjoy this one. 
All right, a 35-year-old woman comes to the office because of headache, increased sweating, and intermittent stabbing pain in her right flank. She has no chronic medical conditions, does not take any medication, does not smoke or use other drugs or alcohol. Her family history is significant for thyroid cancer on her maternal side. Physical examination shows that the patient is pale and appears anxious. Her heart rate is 120 beats per minute, and her blood pressure is 210 over 120. Which of the following diagnoses is most consistent with this presentation? Do you want to think through this, or do you want me to? Oh, I know. The, this is my first patient in residency. I know. We'll do the exercise. Go ahead and read them off, and then uh, I'll explain. A, anxiety disorder. B, essential hypertension. C, hyperthyroidism. D, multiple endocrine neoplasia type 1. Or E, multiple endocrine neoplasia type 2? That is brutal. That's right? a tough question. Right? I know. Right. So um, I actually, my first patient in residency ended up being an MEN2B. She was 35 years old. She came in with stabbing left flank pain and a headache. Blood pressure was 210 over 120. She was pale, diaphoretic, tachycardic. Um, <laughs> I, and I stumbled on the diagnosis, right? I got a CT scan of the head to rule out a head bleed. She didn't have that. And eventually I got down to, I thought it was going to be Theo. Um, and then pheochromocytoma led me to, to take a look at her family history. She had a thyroid cancer unknown. And, uh, and then I ended up diagnosing her with MEN2B. So um, this, is, I'm a, this is an unfair question because literally this is the patient, my first patient of residency as an intern. I was seeing her independently on the, the, the Apollo service, which means that both I and the resident were seeing people independently. And it took me about five days to make the diagnosis. And I got to, <laughs> at SHM. Uh, Brad, uh, who runs the the whole mystery diagnosis thing, was like, hey, man, can I use your case for mystery diagnosis? I was like, yeah, I guess. Sure, whatever. And he's like, you'll, you know you'll never see one of these again, right? And uh, I've been searching ever since. <laughs> yeah, so this is totally unfair. I mean, it's MEN2B. Um, but let's just go and again, I will repeat this. This was totally not scripted. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. Totally not. It's amazing. Um, so anxiety disorder is a great distractor, right? Young woman, no history. Um, she easily she ruled could, out, though, because of the blood pressure. Right. right. So, I mean, even if the blood pressure is a little high, I mean, they're selling the blood pressure, right? That is obviously pathological. Over 200. Like, you know, if it's just a little hypertensive, it could still be anxiety. Um, but they wouldn't sell the the severity of illness so hard, right? If it's a panic attack, they really want you to either rule out MI or to make the diagnosis of anxiety, it's got to be everything's cool, yeah. right? But she's obviously sick with a high blood pressure, high heart rate. She's pale and diaphoretic, right? Right. So that's not – essential hypertension is also ridiculous. Uh, it, it should be a stable blood pressure that you see multiple times and should not be over 180, over 100. They've done away with the blood pressure limits for emergency, but this would definitely be urgency ranges. And on the test, 150 over 80 is hypertension. Right? 200 over 120 is ridiculous hypertension that you should pay attention to and something's wrong. Right. So you see really high numbers. And I, but I say that because I see people who are walking around Louisiana with blood pressure is pretty close to this, and that's just their normal. But on the test, you see someone this high, done deal. Hyperthyroid is a really good distractor because she has the yep. family history of thyroid cancer. She's got tachycardia, hypertension, and even diaphoresis. All of that sounds like thyroid storm or yep. hyperthyroidism at least. Uh, thyroid storm usually is hypotension because her heart rate goes too fast. The thyroid cancer, most cancers don't cause hyperthyroidism. They cause hypo because they take over the, the thyroid. And the stabbing left flank pain just doesn't fit. So I, would, I, was almost, I almost chose that. 
MUN1, MEN2B. All right, they're both multiple endocrine neoplasias. They both have stupid stuff. So the MEN1 is the hard peas, which I think is pituitary, pancreas, and parathyroid. That is correct. MEN2B is going to have... So, though, I would say, what do you do if you get MEN2A, MEN2B? Can you go through that? or <sighs> that's, um, I know that's rough, like... Well, actually, it's actually really good step one content, though, because it's so irrelevant in clinical medicine, but it is so obvious for a test question. So MEN1 is the hard P's, MEN2A is the soft P's, and there's two of them, and one of them is medullary thyroid cancer, and one of them is the other one. Now, I don't really have a good organizer for 2A, 2B, and that's actually something that's really going to be testable at step one level. If you got something, I'd love to hear it. I guess my approach to remembering these is to remember the one that's easiest to remember. And like you just said, and, and like Golian says, uh, remember one and then the other one's the other one. And it's actually MEN2A, medullary thyroid cancer, pheochromocytoma, parathyroid yes. adenoma. MEN2A is pheo and thyroid cancer. MEN2B is pheo and thyroid cancer. 2A, parathyroid, A, the para. And 2B is the other one, neural tumors. Oh, that's right. Neural tumors. That's right. Neuronal, yeah. So 2A is pheothyroid, 2B is pheothyroid, and the third one is different. MEN2A as parathyroid. Thyroid. That's how you remember that. That's, that's good. That'll work. Anything else for these things? Let's see. Okay, so if you hadn't been an intern yet and had, this is your first patient that will forever be burned into your mind, how would you rule in a men's syndrome from what's given in the vignette? Over and above the hyperthyroidism. So, I mean, yes, the flank pain doesn't fit for hyperthyroidism alone, right? But why does she have stabbing pain in her right flank? Because I, I see that as a centerpiece of this uh, vignette. So actually, I think they've sold pheochromocytoma really well. I think they've done a poor job of selling an MEN syndrome, but they didn't give pheo as an option. If they gave isolated pheochromocytoma, I would have picked that. Yeah, because they other than the thyroid cancer, they didn't tell me she has risk factors for multiple endocrine neoplasia. We talked about the P's already, but the stabbing left flank pain that, that it usually actually doesn't present that way. But they're saying, hey, something is wrong with the adrenal kidney area. Left flank means kidney ureter. Maybe and so kidney you, stones. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. So kidney stones. So actually, that's what I thought my patient had. Actually, when she first came in, I thought she just had a, a, a brutal response to pain, um, and she actually had microscopic hematuria. So we we actually got a CT, a non-contrasted CT of her abdomen, which did not detect the adenoma, which really was distracting on that patient. So at the question that was saying, "Hey, something is wrong with the kidney adrenal area," and then they give you four of the five P's of pheo. So it point, that's really quickly directing me to FIO. Then they gave you the history of thyroid cancer, which says, okay, that, that's two out of the three of the MENs. But still, if they didn't give me a thyroid abnormality or a thyroid nodule or something else, I really would have jumped to FIO and not MEN2B. But I think that's actually the equivalent answer because the only one of the five of MEN2B is FIO. So if you saw the FIO and didn't find it in your answer choices, I think it would be useful to then re-engage those answer choices and find out which one of them includes FIO, and that's MEN2B. Yeah, and, and just and 2A too, right? Right, yeah, sorry, so just two, well, two of, of the five. Yeah. yeah, of the five, it's MEN2B, but they could not have put MEN2A and 2B together. That's just ridiculous. That, you know, that's, just, uh, that's just someone being mean. 
<laughs> this, this question really the educational objective here was which of these syndromes is pheochromocytoma part of part of yeah exactly so that helps you rule out the men one there are going to be certain concepts that you do kind of have to memorize and part of that is going to be the distinction between men one syndrome and men two and the pheochromocytoma is an essential part of the men two picture over and above men one and I liked that. Hard peas. I, I never thought of that for men one. Pancreatic, parathyroid, and pituitary. Yes, That's indeed. It. And you're ahead of me. I could have learned this from you. OnlineMed.org slash Enterkin slash MEN dash syndromes. But seriously, make that a hashtag. The hard pea thing worked. 2A, 2B thing. I had to go to my site to look it up, right? So people who are listening, you know, I had to look it up to know that stuff. So it's not possible that you know everything about everything and retain everything about everything. It's just, it's ridiculous. All right. One more. A 17-year-old comes to the clinic because she has not undergone puberty yet. She emigrated from another country two years prior and her mother underwent puberty at 12 years old. Her vitals are normal, including a temperature of 37 degrees Celsius, which is 98.6 Fahrenheit, pulses 82, respirations are 12 per minute. Her blood pressure is 162 over 94. Physical examination shows a female with Tanner stage 1 development of the breasts and no pubic hair. Pelvic examination shows ambiguous external genitalia and a blind vaginal pouch. Laboratory studies show a potassium of 3.1. And further studies show a decreased serum androstenedione. Abdominal ultrasound reveals bilateral masses within each inguinal canal and enlargement of the adrenal glands. Which of the oh, following okay. is most likely deficient in this patient? And, and feel free to rewind the elements of that vignette before we discuss that uh, for the listeners. There's a lot in there. This one is is difficult uh, to do, you know, over audio, I think, especially. But I would say that there are a lot of uh, vignettes that are this dense on um, board exam questions. So you've got... This is why you read the question first. I bet they're going to be 17, which... 21, 19 hydroxyprogesterone. <laughs> you are close. The answer choices. So, um, all right, we'll just keep our usual format and go through these. So the interrogatory, which of the following is most likely deficient in this patient? Uh -huh. A, 11-beta-hydroxylase, B, 11-deoxycorticosterone, C, 17-alpha-hydroxylase, D, 21-hydroxylase, or E, brain-naturetic peptide. All right. So yeah, this is actually a perfect reason why you read the question and the options first, right? If you see 17-hydroxy-alpha, 11-beta, 11-deoxy, 21-hydroxy, that's adrenal hyperplasia, and they're testing you on um, like the cortisol pathway. Yeah. And actually, I think most of this um, was, was bad. And so I actually have an approach to primary amenorrhea where I, I'm looking for a, um, external genitalia development and also- Which is a great, very high-yield video, and I think it would be actually super relevant to go through these uh, concepts, um, even for the step one level, even though you, you kind of intended it for third years, correct? Right. But, but the endocrine stuff in that, in that lesson actually is, is pretty relevant because it helps you get here. It doesn't get down to this level of detail, 
But when you started off primary amenorrhea, I was listening for whether she was going to have anatomy, that is the, the, the axis development, pubic hair and breast development, and what her anatomy was going to be, whether she has a uterus and vagina fallopian tubes, yep. um, and try to figure out that way. Um, and so she definitely had no breast development and no pubic hair, which means the axis is deficient, right? So it's an endocrine problem. Yep. Um, I wanted to see if she also had some sort of anatomy issue, and she seems to have a blind vaginal pouch, uh, which seems to mean that she's got something wrong with um, anatomy as well. And broken anatomy, broken axis is kind of weird, but then they kind of gave you the answer, right? So if you just ignored the whole beginning, I was thinking about Kalman syndrome. I, you know, I was thinking about mullerian um, agenesis and testicular feminization, which I think is androgen insensitivity syndrome now. Yep. Um, I was kind of like you know, going through all the, I was like, oh my God, this is going to be hard. But then they told you at the end that there's bilateral masses of the inguinal canal and adrenal glands are bilaterally hypertrophied, right? So the whole blah, 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 blah came down to there's adrenal hyperplasia and she has primary amenorrhea. The ambiguous genitalia is useful because um, you know, the, the body's not sure which one she's got, testosterone and estrogen. And so uh, I would just say this is a cortisol pathway issue. The diagnosis is congenital adrenal hyperplasia. And I really don't know the answer at all because I haven't engaged this stuff in a long time. But I think the 17-hydroxy is in the urine, so it's going to be the 21-hydroxylase, which is correct. But I literally am just guessing. So I, even though I made the – I think I made the diagnosis correct on the vignette – I have no idea what the answer is, which happens sometimes. <laughs> so the answer is 17. So she has a deficiency of 17 alpha hydroxylase, which ah. was choice C. And the, and the reason is CAH from 17 alpha hydroxylase is characterized by an inability to produce the glucocorticoid and androgen hormones, right? right. And a resultant increase in mineralocorticoids, which I think is is probably what they're trying to get mm -hmm. at with the elevated blood pressure likely due from uh sodium oh, yeah. retention and her potassium was a little low 3.1 so i got both the diagnosis and the answer wrong all right good job <laughs> <laughs> that's a really hard question though and, and, it, and, it and is. I, it's almost like so the educational objective here is do you know the cortisol pathway and can you find the air that's broken i think if i started there I, I would if i had it in my head which i don't i would draw out the cortisol pathway at least rough it and see which of the deficiencies. I actually didn't even latch on to the, the hypertension and hypokalemia, even though we literally just talked about it. I missed the hyperaldo state and then got totally distracted by the amenorrhea and the bilateral adrenal glands. I knew it was congenital adrenal hyperplasia, but I think I totally botched the explanation of what's going on here endocrine-wise. And uh, that just goes to show you, sometimes you're going to get a question wrong. It's totally okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, okay. So we did, I think we got through five or six of these. Uh, you only got one wrong. If you get 80% <laughs> correct on uh, on your step one exam, you're probably going to get a pretty good score. All right. So a 17-year-old boy comes to the endocrinology office for an evaluation of delayed puberty. He says that his sense of smell has been impaired since childhood. His vital signs show no abnormalities. Physical examination shows sparse facial, pubic, and axillary hair, rounded body contour, underdeveloped genitalia, and small testes. Sounds like a like a string of insults that would be slung at someone. Laboratory studies show uh, decreased LH and FSH serum levels. Serum testosterone is also decreased. Prolactin is 18 nanograms per milliliter, and normal is less than 20. TSH is 2.0, which is normal. Which of the following is the most likely diagnosis? 
A, constitutional delay in puberty, B, hyperprolactinemia, C, Kalman syndrome, D, Kleinfelter syndrome, or E, panhypopituitarism. All right. Um, they have the word amnos- uh, They didn't say anosmia, but uh, trouble with smell. I'm um, pretty much a Coleman syndrome already. Yeah. So like, I'm just going to mark that one. Yeah. Like, I can't think of another reason why that would show up on the boards, like anosmia or difficult sense of smell. Like, but I mean, besides, like, I don't know, they had like congestion or maybe like a random weird infarct in the, the the smell center of the brain. But like Kalman syndrome, right? Like anosmia, difficulty smelling, you really need to be thinking about Kalman syndrome. But I think, I think it's a good point, though. Again, it's why you read the answer, the question and the answer choices. If there is anosmia and everything is about postnasal drip, sinusitis, pharyngitis, it's going to be about stuff he knows. Right. If it's delayed puberty, then all right, you're right, de- delayed puberty and anosmia together. We're done. But I think it's a, it's actually a useful system to work through, right? Because this one really tests your knowledge of the anterior pituitary um, down to the testes um, to growth. And the whole point is, and I actually usually think about this in terms of a girl. So this was like um, functionally difficult for me because they talk about it in the way of puberty in, in girls. FSH and LH are supposed to stimulate uh, the testes to make testosterone. And um, I'll just say testosterone. That's easy for it's a guy. And yeah. that'll induce puberty. Um, so therefore, since LH and FSH are low, and then testosterone is low, it means that there's nothing driving the production of testosterone. Or hypogonadotropic hypogonadism is how we think about this in OB. (laughs) Yeah, good. I mean, that's actually the the right name. Yeah, I'm much more simple than you guys. You're starting to pull out Latin on me or something, like a dermatologist. (laughs) I mean, but it brings up a good point because what is Kalman syndrome? It's hypogonadotropic hypogonadism. And maybe they don't say Kalman syndrome. And if you aren't aren't able to dissect and and define what that term means, which I think you're about to do here, you might get it wrong. And that would suck if you knew the answer, but they just didn't give you, you know, the The right word. Yeah. yeah, Maybe they'd say serum unifixation, man. I knew it was multiple myeloma (laughs) and I chose the wrong answer. Or like the damn word they were using, you know, they've got like hyper, uh, hyper gonadotropic hypogonism. And you're like, just sitting there. Is it hypo or hype? Is it hypo hypo or hyper hypo? Is it hypo hyper? You know, like I could see someone getting confused. So, um, I, I think you were about to to describe or or explain that. And that's actually the danger of just memorization, right? If yes. you had a table you you put together for Kalman syndrome, you'd get it wrong. You wouldn't remember. You're stressed out on test day. You totally screw it up. But if you have the system, anterior pituitary makes FSH and LH to stimulate the testes to increase the value of testosterone. And testosterone is supposed to feed back on the anterior pituitary when testosterone is made to turn off FSH and LH. What you'd expect for puberty is an increase in LH and FSH and an increase in testosterone. But here you've got decreased LH and FSH. So low, hypo, gonadotropic, yep. gonadotropic stuff comes from the pituitary. And then low testosterone, the gonads, hypogonads. Yep. And so what I expect to see is one of those to be elevated. But since they're not, it means that the primary issue is hypogonadism, but the issue comes from the anterior pituitary. The fact that the prolactin and TSH is normal, it means the rest of the anterior pituitary is working. That makes a constitutional delay a really attractive answer, right? Because it sounds like the axis just hasn't started yet. Yeah. But unfortunately, at 17, that's no longer constitutional delay. If the age were different, like 13 or 14, um, that would be constitutional delay in my mind. 
without the anosmia, of course. So right. the fact that he has anosmia and a functioning rest of his anterior pituitary pushes me to Coleman's. Uh, but constitutional delay, make him 15 and have no anosmia, I think that that would count as constitutional. The panhypopit, normal prolactin and TSH, okay, that's that right there. And he has no reason why. Again, that's the Sheehan syndrome or some sort of infarct. Yeah. Um, hyperprolactinemia would be tough in a guy, um, amenorrhea, galactorrhea in women, um, bitemporal hemianopsia in a guy. But um, hyperprolactinemia does cause problems with the axis. So maybe that would actually be a reason why he might not be getting his growth spurt. And I missed the fifth option altogether because I heard anosmia. I stopped listening. <laughs> yeah, so D, uh so C was the correct answer, Coleman syndrome. Then we had D Kleinfelters, E pan hypopituitarism. Oh, right. So he'd be tall and lanky and have a weird um genome. And I I, I actually XXY, I know they're tall and I have some problem with their gonads, but they're hypogonadism. But if he hit puberty, the FSH and LH would be elevated, trying to tell the testes to turn on, but they wouldn't turn on. So if Kleinfelters, the LH and FSH should be up not down. Yep. That is correct. See, I have to think about this too, like as I go, <laughs> I go through, but that's perfect. I mean, that's what you should do. You should be able to think through what these things mean. Panhypopituitarism was the last one. So why isn't everything's wrong with, right? Um, yeah. The, the normal the prolactin. Oh, it's, it is normal prolactin. That's why it's not hyperprolactinemia. Duh. Right. It actually have a normal level. And then panhypopit, uh, the TSH would be also abnormal. Panhypopit supposed to be everything's busted, and it's only two things. So it's yep. just the axis, not everything else. So Kalman syndrome, uh, hypogonadotropic, hypogonadism, anosmia. It's a deficiency in the uh, GnRH secreted by the hypothalamus. Remember that for the boards. You can take that with you to test day. In your mind, you can't actually take anything that says that or a recording of that in with you on test day, please don't. In fact, because leave it in your locker if you do. Yeah, yeah, leave it, leave it all. Um, all right, Dustin, thank you so much for your time and being subjected to that uh, pimping session. You did phenomenally. I, if you took step one today, you'd at least get a two seventy. At least I, I would maybe pass actually, but uh, yeah, <laughs> thanks for the, <laughs> the the kind words. I'm sure they're going to throw some mitochondrial DNA stuff at me, and I won't know what the hell's going on, but. Yeah, and this was actually kind of fun. It's just I was worried about it when I walked in. I I didn't prepare anything, and I was hoping that my test taking skills would get me through. And sure enough, for the most part, they actually work. Yeah, absolutely. And when you finish step one, don't forget to check out onlinemeded.org. Sign up, and you can hear more of Dustin's teaching for free, or you can sign up for a premium version of Online MedEd. And what do you get with that? Uh, it's the whole pace paradigm, prepare, acquire, challenge, and enforce. You have to read the notes, watch the videos, challenge yourself with some questions. And then there's the flashback app, which is a series of flashcards to help you mem remember. And uh, in about three or four months, we're coming out with uh, the scheduler as well, which has pre-populated assessments. You don't get to learn the answers of why you got them wrong. If you get them wrong, and it'll help you build a schedule on the dashboard or also for free or um, test prep study schedules and schedules for the year. That's awesome. So check out onlinemeta.org. Thank you again. I appreciate it. All right, man. I'll catch you later. Thanks to Stuart Bryant, our producer, and Osmosis for letting us use their questions for the Study Smarter series. Don't forget to share the Study Smarter series on social media. Just share an episode, tag at Boards Insider on Twitter, 
or inside the boards on Facebook or Instagram, and you'll be entered to win the Study Smarter Contest, which is going to be a $50 Amazon gift card at the end of the series. And thanks to James from 2 O'Clock Courage for letting us use the opening track, which is the Valentine Blast Furnace off 2016's album Missalette. You can check 2 O'Clock Courage, the best band you've never heard of, at 2 O'Clock Courage.com or on iTunes or Spotify. Inside the Boards is in no way affiliated with the United States Medical Licensing Examination, Comprehensive Osteopathic Medical License Examination, National Board of Medical Examiners, the National Council of State Boards and Nursing, National Board of Osteopathic Medical Examiners, or any other licensing or examination body. All exam names and other trademarks are the property of the respective trademark owners. Content discussed during the program is the property of inside the boards or the attributed trademark owner and may not be reproduced without permission from the appropriate entity. Inside the boards fully adheres to the respective policies on irregular behavior outlined by the aforementioned credentialing bodies.